So last episode, I wanted to tell you guys about something I found in my research and I completely forgot because I didn't put it in my notes. But I know I, I, you're rubbing off on me. So true. Uh, when I was looking for Murder in the Muse, maybe you found this too. There was another mystery writer who wrote a book called Murder in the Muse. Did you see this? I did not. Her name was Helen Riley, and she wrote under the pseudonym Kieran Abbey sometimes. So I'm not sure which, uh, which pseudonym it was under when she wrote Murder in the Muse, but I kept getting covers for it. And That's a great uh, pseudonym, Kieran Abbey sometimes. That's not... Don't joke. Don't joke about Kieran. Because she's, I mean, none of her books have uh, like Wikipedia articles. I only, it only gave me like the list of all the books she wrote. And when I read the list of the books she wrote, I realized that while she may not have been a good enough writer to get her books to have their own Wikipedia articles, she was the greatest creator of titles. Let me read for you some of her book titles. Okay. Uh, So her first book was The Diamond Feather and her second book was Murder in the Muse. Okay, a nice start. Uh, Let's continue. Later on in 1940, she came out with a real bop, Murder in Shinbone Alley. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Then a little later we had The Velvet Hand. Mm. Compartment K. Murder Rides a Canadian Transcontinental Express. Zach's favorite. There we go. That's Compartment K, Murder Rides a Canadian Transcontinental Express. Followed by Ding Dong Bell. That's so specific. And then she was like, well, I'll go a little more vague. My next book will be Ding Dong Bell. (laughs) Then, not me, Inspector. Not me. (laughs) (laughs) not me inspector and then follow me with the book after that wow uh another very specific book the 31st bullfinch not the 32nd not the 33rd the 31st bullfinch okay and finally probably this says mystery but it sounds more like an expose the file on rufus ray and those are the books by Helen Riley, a.k.a. Kieran Abbey, creator of the Inspector McKee series, which I assume eventually we will run out of Agatha Christie books and we will have to start on something. Right. So I'm putting that out there as an option. I'm not saying we have to do it. I'm not saying we have to continue, but I'm saying there's something. There is something. <laughs> I like how you looked at Zach when you said we don't have to continue. Like he's like, hey, I'm contractually obligated just to be here for the ones about Agatha Christie and that I'm gone. I, expect, right. I expected an objection was why I looked at him. <laughs> he started so, this, early and I checked out early, so. <laughs> so, yeah, that was that was a little harsh. Usually uh, we talk about something completely different and make people wonder if they have the right podcast. Um, Guys, I'm sorry that I came in so strong. I disprove <laughs> of your professionalism and you disprove it? A dis- How do you disprove it? <laughs> Show me the I, evidence that I'm not professional. I'm gonna not get me, Inspector. Not me. Don't get Timothy Tibbs on the case. He has his hands full. Timothy Tibbs is looking for a break from that case at any point. For those of you who are new, probably, who just joined in on a random episode, our talent agent... I really hope no one ever does that. I feel really <laughs> sorry for them if they do. Our talent agent was recently murdered. He was... Uh, force-fed three gallons of vinegar, some baking soda, and then shot in the head and turned into a third-grade science fair volcano. Uh, Officer Timothy Tibbins of the San Francisco Police Department uh, Homicide Homicide Division Division. (laughs) has been investigating the case. It's been really hard for us to to wait through the suspense. Uh, Things have been tense here, but we feel like we have to to move on for the fans. Yeah, that's true. I honestly forgot. Sorry. You forgot that Danny Shabon was murdered? Danny Shabon uh, that held this podcast together? Well, newsflash, no one sent those faxes you asked to be sent. They're still sitting in the office because our agent... No one's there. returned my videos to Blockbuster. I think we should probably have, you know, an ad out there to try to get a new one. A new, a new agent? Yeah, I mean, nobody is... Um, 
Sorry. Nobody is, uh, I put a glass in front of Zach's face to obscure him. No, he's the every time. Nobody is managing our podcast currently. It's, it's like, you know, imagine if a McDonald's didn't have a manager. Like, who do people complain to? Is I've it free for us? Yeah. Who, who tells who to make the Big Mac? You order a five piece, you get seven nuggets. The world is chaos. We need an agent. <laughs> we need nuggets. We need a manager. We need nuggets. We need nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Definitely put out the call for that. Tea. <laughs> <laughs> An Agatha Christie podcast where we analyze her books wine by wine by wine. <laughs> this one by one by one by one by one. This is well, I said wine because this is the the wine moms episode. We've all got our glasses of wine. <laughs> <by that>. <laughs> wine moms. <laughs> Don't drink the tea. An Agatha Christie podcast wine mom edition where we analyze her books one by one. I'm Josh. I'm Zach. I'm Charlotte. And it's nice to have everybody today. How are y'all doing? Well, I'm allergic to wine. So first of all, I'm really offended at how insensitive you are. You're allergic to wine or do you not like wine? I'm actually allergic to wine. The fact that me and Zach are wine moms through and through, (laughs) that offends us deeply that you're allergic to it. Just, uh, yeah, I just felt left out that it didn't apply. What about like a very light, rosé i don't know after the first couple times i tried i thought it wasn't worth trying them all to see if they all had the same effect yeah it would well i wouldn't say try now because if we have a second death in our podcast things are going to start to look fishy yep true so uh today we're going to be discussing the next book by uh agatha christie it is dumb witness yes it is or the alternate title poirot loses a client or the alternate alternate title mystery at little greenhouse yes that's true or the title i put in my notes dumb dog (laughs) (laughs) this book was written in 1937 uh it's supposed to be following murder in mesopotamia if we do our um order correctly uh it was inspired and dedicated to agatha christie's dog she had a very close relationship with her dog which was was it also a fox terrier right it was the same kind that they feature in the book in the movie i thought so i couldn't remember if it was that or some sort of spaniel but i think it was a a terrier uh his name was peter a dog in a thousand and the dog in this book is called uh, Bob. So lots of dogs with people names. And it was also, it was um, originally a short story uh, that she expanded into a novel. And there's like some interesting facts surrounding that because that's not one we have read yet because she hadn't, uh, she hadn't re- ever released that. They don't believe she ever sent that one to a publisher. Interesting. Uh, and I found that in, um, I couldn't find anything about it online, but whenever they released the, the books that compiled her Agatha Christie's notebooks, the secret notebooks is what they called it. They, had, they also at that same time found the manuscript for the short story, which was called The Incident of the Dog's Ball. And yes. they, they, you know, they pinpointed that it was written right around the same time as the books prior to this. And they, they pointed out a few errors in the manuscript that they were sure that an editor would have uh, changed there would have been like notes to it and none of the publishers that were she was working with or magazines have receipts of ever having it. So it seems that she wrote this story and instead of submitting it, she thought, you know what, I'm going to turn this into a novel and uh, just uh, went straight from that instead of writing it and then writing the book later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just to clarify, like, cause you said dumb dog. <laughs> Dumb witness. So that's the archaic use of the term dumb mm-hmm. in the sense of not able to speak. Right. Not dumb in the sense of stupid. And that gives me, I give this Agatha Christie book, and this is just my opinion, I give this Agatha Christie book the worst uh, title award. And that's across the board. Uh, dumb witness. <laughs> uh, mystery at Little Greenhouse is not very good. 
And I think Poirot loses a client sounds very like, you know, Mr. Monk and the rapper. That sounds like a Monk episode title rather than a Agatha Christie novel. I don't like any of the titles that got chosen for the novel. I think Incident of the Dog's Ball is intriguing. And it kind of goes with like the Sherlock Holmes, the curious, uh, the case of the dog in the night. Um, but still a little clunky, a little long, especially if it was going to be a standalone novel. Yeah. And I, I, I really don't like any of the titles at all for this book. Mm-hmm. Small potatoes in the, in the long run. What if- so now this is the first time you've read it, right? And this is also yeah. the first time I've read it. So this should be Which is really cool. I was going to quickly say, if you can think like right off the top of your head, what would you say your favorite Christie title is? Favorite Christie title? Ooh. This title by itself. Which one sounds the coolest? Zach, what's your Definitely the mirror cracked from side to side, also the mirror cracked. <laughs> you like both titles? You have it in one title. Yeah, it's, it says also as the mirror cracked. Also means it has another title and the other title is just the mirror cracked. Oh. <laughs> and I'm the idiot. <laughs> anyway. I think my <laughs> I think my favorite title is Toward Zero. Oh, I like that one a lot too. Yeah, uh, Endless Night is also very good as far as the title goes. Um, Death Comes as the End yes. is really good. Uh, any of the ones that straight up say, like, you know, Death on the Nile, Murder on the Orient Express, I mean, that they're, they're known by reputation by now, now at this point, not by right. title. So, but some of them that have a lot of words, yeah, they do feel like really clunky or that they announce what's happening. Uh, Taken at the Flood, I think, is another good one. Yeah. And um, that mysterious affair at Styles is just long, and right. again, sounds kind of like a short story title. Instead, of, but yeah, I really like Toward Zero. Uh, Cat Among the Pigeons is kind of a nice title, mm-hmm. even though it is a little bit long. But what about you? Uh, I like I like all those ones that you said, but I also like Three Act Tragedy. I think has a really yeah. nice ring to it, and um, I had just seen one on my list. Uh, I'll find it. Come on, Josh. Ordeal by Innocence. I like. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good one. And Dead Man's Folly. And um, Curtain is just such a cool title for her closer. Like she couldn't. And I like Nemesis a lot. Like I agree with what you said. The ones where they're just they are titles and not. Uh, and I feel like that was a publisher thing that, you know, your stories, they wanted it to state like Poirot goes to school, Poirot does blah, because that's a very international thing. Oh, um, yeah, because there's Hercule Poirot's Christmas. Right. And I, I, which I feel is like that's kind of funny. Um, Sparkly like- Cyanide. I know we've talked about that. That one's pretty strong. And I like uh, Posture and a Fate. And by the pricking of my thumb, yeah, all the ones that pale horse. I like all the ones that kind of have that sound to it. This mm-hmm. one, anyway, that all sp- started from this one. I do not like the title of. Um. So, first impressions. Just talk a little bit about first impressions, then we'll get into the plot. Unfortunately, Zach didn't get to watch the movie. He'll be mostly silent for this episode, but yeah. he's going to be a big star in the in the next episode. So don't be sad, Zach fans. And he'll intersect. But he's still here. He'll interject some jokes, and he'll intersect sometimes too. I'll intersect. <laughs> what does that mean? Wasn't that the thing that Chuck got stuck in his head? The intersect. Maybe. I, I couldn't do say. some research and get back to us on that, please. Okay. I would like to uh, take this moment to. <laughs> I would like to take this moment to acknowledge Zach's glasses. Yes. That he is wearing. Very nice. He looks New very glasses. NASA, doesn't he? Yeah. He could build a Yeah, rock. it is kinda it is kind of nineteen sixties Apollo moon landing. Yeah, I like yeah. it. They're very nice. They're very similar to Charlotte's glasses. Mine are a bit more rounded and, mm-hmm. and masculine. masculine. But they are yeah, they're they're like black I'm, heavy at the top and rimless underneath, right? Yeah, they're called eyebrow glasses. Yep, that's accurate. Yeah. Nice choice. Thank you. I bought them with money, so. 
Wow. Impressive. Flex. I know. I know. Everybody <laughs> wishes they were me. With bad eyesight. <laughs> so first impressions. First impressions. Uh, I enjoyed it. Start to finish, I really did enjoy it. What about you? That's just in a nutshell. I, uh, for me, I, it left a lot to be desired for me. Really? Why is that? <laughs> well, we'll go into it as we talk about it. Okay. So at the, at the very beginning, uh, the prologue is, uh, it introduces Emily Arundel. Is it Arundel or Arundel? Because I watched the movie version and they pronounced it both ways. Yes, they did. I caught that too. Yeah, I think it, yeah. I guess it just depends on where you're from because there's um, that's the way I read it too. Was a rundle, yeah. um, but I think that's because regionally, like, there's an area in Maryland, like a county in Maryland, that is that is okay. called a uh, rundle county. But that's just what I've always heard, so that's what my brain said. Uh, but I think Arundel would work with the spelling. But yeah, they did say it both ways in the in the TV version. So I've heard it both ways. That works. Yeah. So we learn about Emily Arundel or Arundel, who is this old uh, lady, very old fashioned, very set in her ways, very stern, uh, very much what, how Christy talks about like her, her like mother figures in her life being uh, in her like biography and stuff, just how women were at the time. And Zach has confirmed it was the intersect that went into Chuck's head. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm on Chuck. Uh, dash nbc.fandom.com if anybody's interested in learning more about the intersect which went to oh that's right i i finally get what you're talking about now I, at first i thought oh they're talking about chuck the series and then i'm like no it must be some sort of phineas and fur reference that i don't recognize <laughs> <laughs> and or ferb in that case there's no chuck in that there's show probably no chuck yeah okay sorry <laughs> you have thought of chucky finster from Rugrats. little Rugrats, just Rugrats. Just, Rugrats. <laughs> just Rugrats. They were small, but it wasn't. It wasn't said in the. Title. Sorry, I'm just adding in some more adjectives <laughs> to help people out. Thanks, man. <laughs> if you didn't know the size of the Rugrats, the little young Rugrats, <laughs> the tiny baby Rugrats. <laughs> so uh, we meet Emily Arundel, who is an old lady, set in her ways, and she's got all this money, and she has uh, no children. No children. Or, yeah. She has nieces and nephews, uh, a niece and a nephew that are unmarried, but the niece is a relationship with a doctor. And then another niece that's married to a Greek man that a lot of people have some uh, bad feelings towards because he is Greek. Right. Um, and the niece and nephew, Charles and Teresa, are brother sister. Oh, right, right, right. And um, so... They are, they are coming to visit her and it's, it's understood that they all kind of, when they come around are, are asking for money. Uh, they, uh, Teresa lives a very lavish lifestyle and has trouble supporting that. Um, and Charles is very on the, on the nose about the fact that he wants money from her and, and she's like, uh, no, stop asking for money. Um, and she has a dog named Bob. This, the, uh, posthumous idiotic witness as the title points it or the witness that cannot speak um, Bob is a, not, a, not dumb Bob is a very smart dog and he does a trick where he goes to the top of the stairs he drops his ball and it bounces down the stairs and he grabs it at the bottom um, a very cool trick and then he takes it back and he puts it away uh, but one night Emily trips over the ball and, uh, and falls down the stairs but she does not die, but afterwards she writes a letter to Mr. Poirot and calls to get her will changed. So that's those first three chapters where we're introduced to uh, Emily Arundel and her, her companion that lives with her, whose name is, uh, you remember it? Is it Lawson? Like Miss Lawson yeah. or something? It was Wilhelmina Lawson, uh, who's her companion, who she kind of treats as she's like very stupid, but very obedient and uh, the, Teresa and Charles were the brother and sister and then her, her other niece Bella Bella Tanyos who's married to the Greek Jacob Tanyos um, and she writes the part so those first three chapters are all told third person 
And I like those chapters a lot. And then here he comes, like a wrecking ball. <laughs> and he, at the beginning, he says, like, you know, I wasn't there, but these are the, you know, I've learned later that these are the events that happened prior to Poirot receiving this letter. So fun fact about this, I really enjoyed those, those first chapters. I thought they were really well paced because I really liked Christie's third person, even ignoring that yeah. I don't like I really liked her third person lately with cards on the table and uh, three act tragedy. I feel like she has a much more mature voice, um, even over like murder Mesopotamia where it wasn't Hastings, but that wasn't originally in the story. The story originally started with Poirot receiving the letter and the publishers wanted uh, an introduction that started with the house. They said it would sell better. They weren't, really happy with the way cards on the table was formatted because it was very uh you know that book's modern for the time she you know it, it kind of artsy yeah yeah artsy and it, and it breaks a lot of the formulas and they said we'll pay you i think it was two thousand more or something for these added chapters at the beginning to set the scene and she was like okay really yeah and then she added them and i thought that they they were really good but they were added after the fact, because after this point, Poirot gets a letter from M Emily Arundel, but she has already died. He gets it far too late. And the letter is very, yeah, very- she dies the 1st of May. And I think he doesn't get the letter till like the middle of June or the end of June. Right. And he doesn't really know what she's writing about. She talks about being concerned with what happened since the incident of the dog's ball. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't know what she's talking about. They go to this town. She's already dead. Obviously, he can't. And they say she died of, of liver failure. Um, but he can't necessarily investigate because, you know, there's no sign that there was any sort of murder. So he sort of, sort of goes around just pretending like, oh, I'm writing a book about the guy, about her dad or, or grandfather. Or, oh, I'm, I'm interested in buying the house. Yeah, he keeps changing his story, whoever he talks to. And the weird thing about her death was that sh she changed her will like two weeks before she died, leaving her entire fortune to her companion. Yeah, Miss Lawson. Right. Um, and Poirot, like, you know, finds more about, he, he talks to the um, brother and sister, Charles and Teresa, and he kind of like talks to them like he can change or I don't know if, do they bring it up or he brings it up that he can work his detective skills to get the will changed so that they can get the money because they know that they were in the original will and that she changed it after whatever happened with the ball. But he says, I can maybe work a little detective magic and get you guys back and inheriting all of the money. Right. And uh, there's a, a few more things going on. She has uh, two neighbors called the Trips who are into the supernatural. They had a seance uh, together, like, was it the night before she died? And they said they all I saw so. a yeah. green halo over her head. And she like walked away, like saying she was feeling sick. And they're like, oh, she had the spirit or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's a pretty good rundown. So what was it that you don't like about it? It was because Hastings was there? No, no, no. I, I've liked some stories with Hastings. So one of my problems, I didn't know about um, that part about her adding the chapters at the beginning until after I'd finished the book. But as I was reading the book, I was kind of jarred by, we learned about this woman. We learned about her, the other characters in her life. We learned about the, you know, the, her tripping over the ball. And we get Poirot who knows nothing about this. And we kind of go along with him asking people like, you know, it's one of her mysteries where the character has to know nothing and gather up information as he goes. And a lot of the times when she portrays a story like that, we are in the same place as the detective or the amateur detective where we also don't know anything about this person that has died. Mm -hmm. And it, why it was jarring for me was we learned all those things and then we went back to not knowing anything with Poirot. And I, I felt like that feels out of place. It's weird to go from that to to um, having to learn it all again. And of course, it made much more sense later that she added those chapters and I much more appreciate what she was trying to do. But I mean, that doesn't affect that that was the finished product that came with the book. Okay. 
that was one of my problems. But I also liked a lot of things with it too. If if you want to talk a little more about about this the story about things you liked from it. Well, I can I see what you mean, but I feel like she did kind of go through and fix that a little bit because there is at one point Hastings like I'm not going to go over this again because you already know up to this point like where we all are. Um, but I can see what you mean about it being able to tell that it's kind of tacked on at the beginning. If she had opened it straight up with Poirot getting the letter and having to find everything out, I mean, that would have been interesting too. Right. And that I, would work, I think. That's what I would have preferred, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I liked that the, well, the, the dog was pretty good because I know you mentioned this a long time ago about like her ability to portray an inner voice she yeah. gives the dog dialogue in this, like, you yeah. know, like what, what's going on, his, his reactions and, and what he's saying or thinking or feeling, which was not overdone. She only did it maybe in three different chapters, just popping in and out. Because if you go by like the title Dumb Witness, like that makes it seem like it's really dog centric that it's all yeah. about. They didn't have some or anything. <laughs> Right. No, it was, yeah, he just, he passes through every now and then. And it was, it was really cute the way that she did it. Some of the things were different. Like the, the poison of choice was, was very different. I don't know that she ever yeah. used that before. That very interesting. Huh? And I like. Talk about it like in more detail. Cause I, if you want, we can spoil it. I think so. I don't think it's that important that people, I, I mean, I would say as always, yeah, sure. Read it if you want to, but it's not a biggie. Right. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, so she was poisoned with phosphorus, mm -hmm. which can be found naturally occurring, or not naturally occurring, but it can be found in products like, I think they said matches and something else. Yeah. Um, but it can it causes your phosphorus poisoning, and this is according to the book, which I'm assuming is accurate because Christy knew a lot about what she was talking about, that it causes your breath to become phosphorescent or like glow in the dark. So that's why they saw like this green halo around Emily before she died was because yep. her breath had become uh, glow in the dark, which right. is crazy. So that's yep. unusual. I don't ever remember hearing uh -huh. that before, which I thought was kind of interesting. And I also like the format was just a little bit more open. I felt like it was more about the characters than it was necessarily because for, for half the book, because Chrissy does that thing she always does, halfway through the book, I'm like, okay, was this woman murdered or did she die naturally? Because Christy will do that to you. Go through halfway and be like, oh, no, like like uh, the short story collection we just did. It was like, oh, no, it was it was uh, murder dressed up to look like suicide. I was like, no, it was a suicide dressed up to look like murder. So right. I, at one point I was like, oh, wow, I'm not really sure what our end game is here. What are we looking at? But the old lady had been murdered phosphorus poisoning and there wasn't a lot of quote-unquote clues there were a few things that were important like obviously she didn't trip over the the dog's ball there had been a, a wire stretched across the stairs and that's why she fell yeah. uh, things like that but it wasn't because it happened so long after it was there was no there, she didn't have to have alibis for everybody. It wasn't, oh, where were you at a quarter past 12 on this day? Which gets yeah. uh, which gets annoying to me in my mind. It just feels like you go over and over and over again when you have to read it and everybody has to reiterate it. And like the timeline is so important and that gets a little tiring for my brain. So I really liked that this was just about the people and who had the motive, why did they do it and what type of person would have killed her in this way not yeah. necessarily oh who just had the opportunity i did like that yeah i can see where you're coming from with that those were unique to this book yeah i agree with that yeah so yeah i enjoyed it and also it was nice to read something of hers that i didn't know what happened at the end right and uh i did watch the movie of this before i'd ever read the book and i was i was genuinely surprised by the the twist at the end I do think it was a satisfying twist and it surprised me. I'm not sure about you reading it for the first time, but uh, I did think the twist was pretty good. Oh, who turned out to be the culprit? Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised. I thought all along that it was uh, Miss Lawson, that it was the companion. 
even yeah. though it, it was pretty much established from the beginning that it, it couldn't possibly be but i was like no nah, it has to be it has to be and i it was as they always say the last person that you suspected and it was for me i i suspected charles uh teresa again miss lawson uh, not really the the Greek doctor because she Christie's really good about making you suspect people in her book who are not English and I think that's why I, I think that when people say that oh she reflected the prejudice of her day I really don't think so because yeah. everyone wanted to suspect the Greek doctor because he was not English and exactly. she deliberately would make it so that no they were he was actually the nicest person in the whole book yeah, I, I wanted to talk about that point, too, because I also read an article in connection to that, because so, a lot of people will just jump the gun and say, say that she was uh, racist, and she definitely reflected views of her time, and unfortunately would portray yeah. characters in ways that sometimes is uncomfortable, particularly in, like, Secret of Chimneys, Parker Pine, and famously in Hickory Dickory Dock, Hickory Dickory Death, which were coming up to uh, soon with a character named Aki Bombo. But um, <laughs> that's one, that one is particularly rough. But the article was talking about, even though she reflected those views, oftentimes, much like she did with Poirot, she was trying to show when a character said something about a certain race, she was trying to show that those characters were unlikable, prejudiced, and that their opinions could not be trusted because they chose with bias. And that was a really cool thing about this story because the Greek is not, and they play this up a little more in the movie too, that, the, the, that her husband is cruel, that he's like controlling and it's because he's Greek and that and he killed um, the, the aunt for the money. And the twist at the end is that he is, he is straight up being framed by his wife who does mm -hmm. not like him anymore. She does not want to be married to this man anymore. And she yeah. wants, and she's the English, uh, you know, entitled uh, woman. Respectable and she's woman, yeah. And is framing her, and they play around a lot with that too, because uh, everybody, and even Hastings himself, talks about his prejudice towards Greeks and other races. And Poirot kind of, like, you know, says something negative about the way that Hastings' bias is affecting his judgments. So Christie was definitely not you know, a campaigner for equal rights in any stretch of the imagination or feminism for that matter. But sh whenever she included it for the most part, I, most of the time she was reflecting that the people who felt this way were wrong and bad and used it to show like that the, the foreigner was uh, not a bad person. Because right, it was a lazy form of thinking, and I think that that really bothered her, and that's why she liked to spotlight it because she was not a lazy thinker at all. Right, and I thought this one was a good uh, campaigner for that viewpoint. Mm -hmm. uh, I did not like in the in the in the Suchet version. I did not like the way that they portrayed the doctor as compared to the book. Again. Her characters are so nuanced and so subtle and you get such richness from her descriptions of how they feel and their motivations. And then in the movies or in the TV versions, sometimes they just feel just like cardboard cutouts. And that's what, what I felt that it was with, with this version. Like the, they totally changed the brother and the sister. Teresa and Charles are like nothing like they are in the book. And I was annoyed by that. The only ones who really stayed true to form besides Hastings, of course, <laughs> were the trip sisters. Like they were they were pretty much as obnoxious as they could be. <laughs> yeah. But the dog, oh my goodness, the dog in the TV he's version. Oh, he's awesome. He is perfect. He is so yeah. adorable. He has all the, the perfect expressions. And so did you look him up? No, I saw him in the credits. Um, I can't remember what his real name was. Snubby. Snubby, yeah. Snubby. <laughs> so cute, and he has so much personality. Mm hmm And he, him, him and David Suchet got along really well. You could yeah. tell. And they, they played up the... Per that was one of the things I... But I can talk about the show now that we brought it up. One of the things I liked a little more about the movie was that they, they, they gave more attention to the dog than the book kind of did. Yes, they did because he traveled around with Poirot and 
he would like he would start a lot of scenes he would end a lot of scenes um the trip sisters like did this this fake seance where they accuse him of committing the murder i also really liked the trip sisters in the movie the way they interacted with Poirot I thought they were really really funny that they they really wanted to be suspects and they were they talked about their they talked about their pet I can't remember what his name was Peter or Arthur and Poirot was like oh is it a dog and they're like no we have Albert Albert yeah their pet spirit Albert they were they were really well played but yeah the Teresa in the book she's supposed to be like uh you know, like I said, she she's trying to be really lavish and she can't really afford it. And she comes off to people as very cruel. And in the book, she was really, really bland. I mean, yeah. the movie, sorry, movie, she was really, really bland. Yeah, barely had any lines and was very poorly dressed. Like, because usually the the, the ones are so glitzy and polished and have such great um costuming great lighting and this one just felt like it was either rushed or somebody just did that it wasn't the same costume designer or something like everything looked a little bit like old and cheap Mm -hmm. I felt like it just it wasn't it wasn't pretty it wasn't eye candy yeah so a little a couple of the other problems I had with the book and maybe these are small things um the movie played up a little more with the dog like i said and the movie also played up the trip sisters which the reason i thought that worked was because they're talked as about being spiritualists that live next door and they saw the green halo but poirot talks to them very little they have very little impact in the book but the movie plays up their their role and i appreciated that because in the book if it, it's kind of a weird thing to just happen it wasn't like, oh, the neighbor saw her and this happened. It's like, oh, the neighbors believe in spirits and they had a seance and blah, blah, blah. And it never becomes an important plot point in the book. And then right. and Bob, Bob is in the book, but Bob is not as much of a star as the title would give it. The movie, he is the star. Yes. He is, he is the, the star. And <laughs> so the, the issue that I had with the book and reading it was there were a lot of things and it I was a little biased from seeing the movie first, seeing how they kind of developed some of those themes more. It felt like, it felt like a short story that it had a lot of little things throughout it that she didn't, that they didn't feel like they all fit in. Like this, this book could have been the same without the trip sisters and the sands part cut out of it. And it almost could be the same without the dog. If she tripped down the stairs over something else it felt like right. it didn't really all go together to contribute to this plot. And it kind of left me feeling like the movie kind of tied it up, even though the movie added some silly things, uh, it tied it all together a little better than the book did. Now see with the movie or with the TV version, it, it was really annoying that they put it in like the, they put it back to the, the standard Poirot format where, Oh, you know, Poirot's there for a weekend dinner party and somebody dies. And that, that- it was absolutely the most central part about the book was the fact that he received her letter two months after she died and he's trying to figure out all this stuff secondhand that was the most important part about the book and so that I think if they would have saved that story and done that one in the later seasons like when they got into the 2000s because this was done in 96 yeah if they would have waited and did it and like in you know maybe 10 years later or 12 years later, I think it would have had that polish and they would have kept it true to the book. And that would have made it even more interesting to my yeah. mind. But Yeah. The movie was a mixed bag because the things that it, that it played up with, like with the dog and with the, with the trip sisters that it, that it developed more, it did really well, but it also, they also added some things to make it a little more actiony, like with uh, like this robbery that happened in it. And uh Oh yeah, which was totally pointless. And then the fact that Charles was uh, trying to break the the water speed record or something like he had this oh, fast, yeah. and that storyline lasted all of like what thirty seconds. Like it was just right at the beginning. It was totally pointless, thrown in for no reason, and had to be a really expensive choice because yeah. that was a whole lot of scenes that they had to film involving you know boats and waters and things on fire and. It was just to give it a little flash and that, that didn't work, but, uh, but I felt like what they developed worked a little more. And also it changed the ending. So Poirot uh, 
so one of the parts about uh, Jacob Tanyos's wife, Bella, she accuses her husband of being terrible and she gets the children and she goes away and she's staying with Wilhelmina. And that's part of her plan because she's like, well, I'm going to get the money this way because Wilhelmina kind of is like, well, I'm going to give you half of the money because all these terrible things happen to you. And in, in the book, Poirot goes to her and he's like, yes, I know the truth. And she's like, oh, thank goodness, you know, my husband did it. And he gives her an envelope with the truth in it. And obviously Poirot knows the truth that it was Bella, not Jacob. Well, Bella and Jacob, like from Twilight. I just now realized that as I said it out loud. Oh. Anyway, no, no Edward though. So it was a little happier of a story. But um, <laughs> so he goes and she uh, she kills herself. Um, it's kind of like the same thing that happened in, in Murder of Roger Ackroyd, which I had a problem with at the time. And Aaron kind of helped me understand it a little bit, even though I don't agree with the, the principle of Poirot's actions, that Poirot's viewpoint is always just that justice is done. It doesn't matter how. Like this woman right. was a murderer. She should, she, her life needs to pay for that. And the fact that she takes her own life and that the children don't have to know that she was a murderer is okay with him. But in the movie, they changed that to be more of a traditional, uh, he gets everybody. Yeah, sum up the room full of suspects, yeah. Right. And I think both work. Like the, her killing herself was a little dark for a book that's pretty lighthearted. Uh, yeah, I thought the same thing. It was like, oh, wow, I, was, I did not expect it to take that turn. And then him having to explain it secondhand, like what her motives were and everything. Yeah. And so in the book, that was a little, again, another thing that I felt that was a little jarring for me. It didn't feel like, it didn't feel like a bad ending because I liked the twist and it felt like that's, yeah, that's how Poirot would react. And it was kind of kind that he didn't want the children to know that his mother, even though they had to live without a mother, they didn't have to know that their mother was a murderer, but uh, it didn't really, Murder of Roger Ackroyd is much serious and darker. Dumb Witness mm -hmm. was very light. And so the ending the beginning and ending didn't feel like they fit with the book and it had, yeah. so it just felt very <clears throat> for me was my, was my issues with it. Mm -hmm. I did enjoy it though, because, because having not read it before was fun. And, oh, I didn't say this. The best thing about it is this is Hastings last appearance until 1970 something. He is not, <laughs> Decades later, and you can tell that Christy, Christy, you know, she really, really, she does what she loves when Hastings isn't around. And she yeah. said that later that <laughs> she would also write Poirot out of books, like when she did play versions. We'll talk about that later. She, because she felt like uh, she felt limited by them, but even more so by Hastings, just limiting yourself to a first person <laughs> can cause problems, but limiting yourself to a first person who is an idiot can cause double problems. <laughs> True, but she remained very faithful. She always kept true to Hastings' original character, which was, you know, a goober. But he yeah. he he remained a goober throughout. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because I read somewhere that it said it was his penultimate appearance. I'm like, wait a minute, that means he's only in. I know which one. Not to spoil it, I know which one is the the next one that he's in, the last one that he's yeah. in. But I'm like, oh my gosh, this is that's a huge gap. <laughs> I think she do it. So I think a burden it. lifted off of your shoulders, Josh. But that is a sign of a good writer. Yeah, she even though he was irritating, she wasn't like, well, I'll change the character to be suddenly likable. Because if if Hastings suddenly was a great guy, I would have been like, huh. But as we pointed <laughs> out, the Hastings in the show was very different from the Hastings in in the book, and Hastings in this episode was very uh, enjoyable. Yes, I love Hugh Fraser's Hastings. Like, I think he's just great and he's necessary and he's just he's so fun but but again those were just so well cast david suchet is just amazing <laughs> and i will never ever ever read another word of dialogue by poirot and not hear his voice he is he is poirot <laughs> exactly something just kind of a side point that i really liked like if i could pick out my favorite thing in this book is when poirot explains why dogs don't like postmen. I think that is like probably the great one of the greatest explanations remember. of all time. I thought that was fun. He said it was the dog's job to, you know, monitor everyone that comes to the house. And here's this person who comes to, I guess in England it's a little bit different. It comes to the house twice a day 
and knocks on the door and then runs away and the dog just can't handle that <laughs> yeah uh, it's the evening post right. yeah yeah and i i i will admit that i think i am an exception because so recently when we've been reading the books in order to help me keep my review in my mind because sometimes i'll read a book a little earlier and by the time we start recording the episode i can't remember the things i liked or didn't like so on goodreads i've been writing out my reviews of the books and posting them there so i would have them and when i looked on goodreads my review was like one of the lowest i saw most people gave the book at least three stars and a lot of them gave it four i think i'm an exception to and i'm not sure why it struck me that way and it might also be the books that we've read right before it Mm -hmm. then like up in quality and it felt like it kind of was a jump down uh so i do think that some of my judgments may be a little uh, specific to me, but mm-hmm. my sum up but that's was, fine. yeah, it was a solid story, a few interesting characters, but too many factors that didn't really gel well enough to give me a satisfying mystery. Too much going on. Didn't feel like it was chipped enough away and needed a little more trimming. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's my final ranking. What's your final ranking? Your final ranking is what? Three? On Goodreads, I gave it two, but that's because I can't give it like two point anything. You, it's like it's just one, two, or three, or four or five. But I, it's a high two. I don't really enjoy. I would. I don't think I'd read this book again or ever recommend it. But I could like up it because I know you like it. Because I feel like I like it better than like the Seven Dials Mystery, which is one of our three stars, three star books. Um, in the Poirot section, I think it's definitely better than, I don't know. I don't, I think I like Lord Edgware dies better. I think that was more solid. I think I'd put it after that, which is one of our last three stars. So it would put it in between Lord Edgware and Seven Dials. That would be okay. mine. Hmm. I'm trying to think, how did, uh, Oh, <laughs> that's funny because I'm looking at the list and I can see you editing it or you're ready to edit it. <laughs> um, how did Tuesday Club get above Lord Edgeware? I think they're like right around tied and they just happen to be right, you know, some of them okay. like get muddled there because of them being average. The average ones are a little harder to separate. Right, that's true. Because looking at it, I would say it, it, Lord Edgeware is better, yes, but I would say this one's better than Tuesday Club. But that's impossible. <laughs> yeah, we can't make that now. It's too late. Too late so in which case, yeah, it has to, it, it would go under Lord Edgeware, which would make it number like 18 or something. Yeah, there it is. I'm happy with that. Dumb Wattness. Dumb Wattness. <laughs> so that's Dumb Witness. What's going on with your glasses, Zach? There's a smudge. Smudge. So- Smedge. I'll quickly say that the next book that we're going to read, well, I don't know what the next book we're going to read, but it will be a good one. That is what I know. And you'll see next time. We will, we're going to discuss that in between uh, our recordings, but you'll just- You're know. not just going to commit to anything anymore. I'll put it, I'll put is there going to be a next episode? We don't know. Maybe we're not going to read any more books. This might be the very last time you ever hear from us. We're canceled. I will put it on the Don't Drink the Tea Instagram page. So make sure all of you that are listening, go check it out and you can see what we're reading next. And you also get like cool things about the show. And we announce when there's a new episode and there's usually clips of the new episode that give you a little teaser. And sometimes there's questions to the audience. We've had a few people that have commented and, and talked about what they've liked in certain episodes, talked about some things with Danny Shabon. So uh, <laughs> please go check that out. And if you don't have an Instagram make up an account and give yourself a character name from Agatha Christie's books. If you don't want to have an Instagram, just have it just to follow us. <laughs> Very it, nice idea. It might break your principles, but go change your name to John Shepard, you know, 1922 and follow us. And <laughs> those. Oh, that's fantastic. What a nice idea. <laughs> so do you want to, um, you have a game to, to bless me and Zach with? Oh, man. It's so bad. I, 
this is the last time that it was of the same quality or lesser of bad Yelp reviews. <laughs> it is it is by far the worst idea I have ever had. And wow. I've debated just like <laughs> being like, no, I don't have a game. Never mind. Because <laughs> it, it's, it's so pathetic. Like, this is the equivalent of eating the terrible food in person. No, not. There's nothing that's that bad. There's, that is the worst thing I ever have to do, ever. <laughs> he has a bounce back from the shrimp crackers. No, I still lie in bed awake at night thinking, not the shrimp crackers, not the shrimp crackers. <laughs> You've never been, see, you didn't know that you would be grateful to be in lockdown and doing this over Zoom. I knew that. All right, you're stalling. Let's go, let's go. I know, I know. I'm sorry. So remember, oh, it's so bad uh you just gotta embrace it you just gotta embrace how bad it is and just go with it okay um so remember how i said that i had two ideas for murder on the muse yeah i was like oh i'll save the other one just in case so yeah it ended up with the with the weird um made no sense bad yelp reviews so the other the other idea i wanted to do was murder in the muse because because <laughs> it made me can't even say it. It made me think of a cat. <laughs> Don't drink the tea. Would like to apologize for um, the very bad joke. It was just that. Just I told you. <laughs> oh, I told you. <laughs> I know that sounds that sounds really funny. Let's go. Oh, shut up. <laughs> So I thought the reason that I saved it, oh gosh, oh, I'm crying. The reason that I saved it was because this book's central character was a dog. And so I thought, okay, well, I'm going to make you uh, identify different cat meows. <laughs> and the logic. The voice of the, the different logic cats, logically. Cool. Yes. Oh. <laughs> so it makes you can. Less than more you go forward. <laughs> yeah, the more you speak, the more I feel like we can't go on. So let's just go for it. Don't try to explain it further. I told you, I told you, I, I, this is the worst idea I have ever had. You might do it. <laughs> okay, hold on. Okay, can you still hear me? Yeah. Yeah. That sounds way oh, better. Gosh. Yeah, you were very loud before, but that might just be for us. I don't know. So I'm going to play you the different sounds that cats make, and then you're going to have to identify them. About how they're feeling, or is it like, or like <laughs> <laughs> nauseated? <laughs> that one's pooping. Um, about the breed of cat? The breed of like, cat? Like that one's a, a Siamese cat. Like yes, that. like that. Yeah, not I don't know like one type of cat, and I already said it. So. <laughs> Well, maybe not that's how they're brown. feeling. Although now I feel like that's what I should have done. Oh, oh cat dog, cat dog, cat, cat boy. All right, let's just go. All right, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Tell me if you can hear it at all. Okay. What type of cat was that? That cat was that um, was in pain. It sounded like it was very irritated. It was like Rah. not his emotion, not the emotion. <laughs> this type of cat. Do we get bonus points for the uh, emo if we get the breed and the emotion? It's okay. Here, here. He, I don't know what it's called, but it's a cat. It has like a very flat face. You know what I mean? And like big whiskers. <laughs> okay. Yes, I do know what you mean. That's the one. Uh, Josh, do you have a guess? Uh, yellow. <laughs> a ginge. It's a ginge. Is that how it was feeling? It was a feeling gingy, very yellow. A gingy cat that felt it felt like a yellow belly. <laughs> no <laughs> one calls him yellow. Cowardly. Sadly, Zach missed his one opportunity to be right because it was a Siamese. Siamese. I told you. I already said the one I know. <laughs> And it was a Siamese with separation anxiety because its owner was in the shower. You knew the you knew the emotion. Wow. And you still berated us. Can I ask <laughs> one question? And you promised me that you you won't like think anything of it. How many meows do we have to identify? <laughs> <laughs> Can we make it like
like three. <laughs> I told you. I warned you. All right, next one. We got this. All right, next one. Next one. <laughs> this is a bird. <laughs> it's a bird, though. Yeah, that's a bird. That's a bird. Cat bird. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's a that's a that's a tabby cat. Is that a type of cat? Tabby cat? Shh. <laughs> Sorry. I say calico. That's a calico. I think tabby cat and calico is the same thing. Is it? Am I right? <laughs> what? No, a tabby cat and a calico are not the same thing. I thought a tabby cat was a boy cat. A, no, a tabby cat is like a um, tiger stripe cat. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, and, I think I mean that's what that's what we always said. I don't know. And then a calico cat is a cat that is a tricolored, three colors. Mm-hmm. All right, I stick with calico then. The cosmopolitan of cats. You're both wrong. It was a cheetah, actually. A contented. Oh, oh. oh we could do big cats. That makes this much easier now. Okay, I, I don't it. think it does. No, because I feel like that's the only big cat she's gonna put on there because she's pulling the old switcheroo. But and that the next least, one's gonna be like red. That at least gets us the opportunity to like guess more cats because we've named all the cats we know. Right. Of the domesticated cats. All right. Flathead cat. <laughs> yeah, cat. all the ones we know. Flathead. Flat uh, face and I'm the whiskers. I just want to say that you, the, the image portrayed here, they're not flat-headed, they're flat-faced. <laughs> Their heads are normal <laughs> shape, but they have a flat face. The hammerhead cat? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you make that cat sound like it got dropped. <laughs> Could have. Yeah. All right. Okay, are you ready for your next cat noise? Yes. Okay, what cat is this? alone. I'm not kidding, Yodel Odie. Pop a worm pill and hit the road. I'm busy. It's Cat Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's uh, the cat in the hat. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. And you get a bonus point if you can identify the actor who played said cat. I'm not going to tell you if you're right or not, but you will get a bonus uh, point. Uh, so Cat in the Hat was who? Mike, Mike Myers? Myers? Okay, so Josh, is that your guess as well? That it's Cat Stevens. Well, now you're making me think that it's an animated cat. I'm trying to think of a cat that sounds like that in a movie. It's not that movie where Kevin Spacey played the cat, and it's also not Garfield. Um, can I hear it one more time? Because then now I'm starting to doubt that it's Yusuf. Me alone. I'm not kidding, Yodel Odie. Pop a worm pill hit the road i'm busy no that is that's garfield that's that's garfield that's bill murray actually you are correct yay <laughs> uh, a little closer it do, i mean bill murray does often get confused with cat stevens i might add <laughs> but cat in the hat was a good guess and yes that is mike myers but that was not sadly that was not it that would be uh that would be oh yeah <laughs> Yeah, we'll discuss Cat in the Hat one day. Okay, last one. Last one. Last one. Could you hear it or was it too low? Was it hissing? It was like it was like a low grumble. Okay, yeah, yeah, we heard it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I heard a well, if it sounded you. We heard it. Ocean <laughs> is hungry. <laughs> Lion. A black panther. And not not the Black Panther, a Black Panther. Wakanda forever. <laughs> I'll, I'll turn it around so you can see it. Oh. Oh, it's a little Lynx. <laughs> it's Lynx. It's, is, it's it, is it a Lynx? It's Zelda. Or is that the other one? What? Is it a Lynx? Or it what, what is it? That's a Caracal? C-A-R-A-C-A-L. That's not real. Carl called? Yeah. What but, do you want? They have it's a, a it's a it's a wildcat and it's got like little pointy tufted ears. Yeah. I there I think there's um one that's like famous on like Instagram and stuff. His name was Floppa. <laughs> I this definitely wasn't the worst idea you've ever had in your life. I'll let you think about what I think the worst idea you ever had. <laughs> I wish I knew, because that's gonna be my next question that I was gonna ask, but I know you worst. won't tell me. Second worst. 
along with Jack Black. Uh, well, thanks everybody for joining Don't Drink the Tea. This was really wonderful to hear me and Zach try to determine cats and uh, it didn't work. Hear about all sorts of animals on this episode. Um, anything that you wanted to say before we uh, signed out? Oh, I wanted to say really quick before that. Uh, the next episode we want you uh, all to tune into. It's going to be very special. <laughs> so don't hype it up like that. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be uh, uh, an episode hosted by Zach. And also, not only that, Oh, the real, the next real episode, the next, you know, we have many episodes, but I'm saying the next real episode will be hosted by Zach. And we also have an upcoming mini episode hosted by Zach. So there's going to be a lot of Zach coming up in your Spotify feed soon. So hopefully you don't get tired of it. Mm. We, hey, we you. need some Zach heavy episodes. We really do. In these times we live in, we need some Zach. Yeah. What were you going to say, Charlotte? I mean, did you have anything to say that you wanted to mention to people? I just hope there's somebody out there who is will still be my friend after my terrible ideas. But there's oh, somebody out not. there who has been thinking of that exact idea and said, "Yes, someone's finally done it," and we reject them as a fan. Yes, <laughs> <Some> <laughs> not true, but I appreciate your positivity. <laughs> Deception. Deception. Disgrace. Shame. You can see it by it the flat on his face. face. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot to cut here. Stay safe, kids. <laughs> Stay in school. <laughs> <laughs> oh my.